Talk about, um, well, take your Bible if you would. Turn first of all to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16 first. But uh, we think about uh, building and all the things that go into uh, life or sports or anything else, and we talk about fundamentals and foundation. And, um, you know, the foundation that we lay, whether it be in uh, a house or a building or uh, whether it be in our own walk with God, the foundation so imperative, it's so important. We have to lay those building blocks, those original foundations, if you will, and that's so important. And tonight, we're just going to talk about a foundational truth and uh, kind of consider it, look at it a little bit, and I trust it'll be a help and a blessing to you. And uh, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 13, is where we're going to start here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We begin reading there. I'll tell you what, let's all stand for the reading of the Word of God tonight. 
give you one more chance to stretch before we get going. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, the Lord here in this particular passage is asking a couple of questions. He asks his disciples, first of all, he says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And that's a good question. He then turns to his disciples and says, But whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am. Father, we come to you tonight. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd move in our lives. Help us to answer that question tonight in our own hearts and minds. Father, we give you glory for it. We know, Lord, that it's a very foundational aspect of our Christian life. It's so important that we understand who you are, Lord Jesus. It's important that we believe and know who you are. Father, uh, We'll thank you and praise you as you speak to our hearts. Lord, if there be any that do not know for sure Christ is their Lord and Savior, may they settle that before they leave tonight. For we as believers, may our hearts be ever more solidified, strengthened, sure, solid in who you are. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. With his request approved... The CNN news cameraman quickly used his cell phone to call a local airport and charter a flight. He's told that there would be a twin-engine plane that'd be waiting for him at the airport. And so, upon arriving at the airfield, he spotted a plane warming up outside of a hangar. He jumped in with both of his bags. He slammed the door shut. He shouted, let's go! The pilot taxied out, swung the plane into the wind, and took off. Once they were in the air a while, the cameraman He instructed the pilot, he said, hey, fly over the valley over there and make some low passes so I can get some shots of the fires on the hillside. There had been some fires there and he wanted to get some good pictures of it so he could send them back to his affiliate and ultimately get them on the news. And so he said, make sure you, you know, make some of those low flights, you know, get down there low. And so um, the pilot said, well, uh, why in the world do you want me to go down there? He said, because I'm a cameraman for CNN. I need to get some close-up shots. The pilot was kind of silent for a moment. He finally said, so you're telling me you're not the flight instructor? I think that you would call that a case of mistaken identity. I mean, here he was. He run in and jumped in the plane, assuming that it was the plane he was supposed to catch. And the pilot's assuming he's the instructor and... Everybody's misunderstanding who one another is. Well, tonight in our passage, there's the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's asking a question, Whom say ye that I am? We've got to get this identity figured out. We've got to know who we're dealing with and what we're dealing with. And uh, the Lord's curious. Who do folks say that I am? I mean, who do people say that the Son of Man am? And... Um, 
He asked that question to them, his disciples. And there amidst the disciples, one of them steps up. Of course, we know that Peter was a little bit more bold than the rest. If anybody was going to put his foot in his mouth, it'd be Peter. But on the other hand, anybody was going to stand for Christ, it'd be Peter. I mean, you take the good with the bad. You know, the reality is, is that our greatest strengths can become our greatest weaknesses. And in this case, uh, Peter was a pretty bold person. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's just his personality. And he stepped out and he shared what he believed, what he thought. He made no bones about it. He was convinced. He was convicted about it. I know what everybody else says. Some say that you're John the Baptist, others Elias, others Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. I know what they say, but I say and I believe that thou art the Christ. You're the promised one. You're the Messiah. You are God in flesh. Boy, Peter, he didn't mix words. You know, men and women throughout history have had to face that question. They've had to land on one side or the other. I think of Joseph in the Bible. I'm not talking about Joseph back there in, you know, pre-Israel uh, uh, days. I'm talking about the Joseph of the New Testament, Mary and Joseph. Joseph comes face to face with this question early on in his relationship with Mary, I believe. He hears the news uh, about Mary being with child. That had to come to a tremendous shock, a, a major shock to him. I mean, here he was prepared to marry this young woman that he believed to be chaste and to be truly pure. And he finds out that she's with child. He can only imagine, only think that something had gone on that was truly not scriptural, wasn't something that God intended. And he started to question the character of this girl and wonder about his future with her. He's approached by an angel who shares a supernatural story about a supernatural, miraculous conception. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, turn there if you would, please. What an amazing story he's told. Now, I just want to warn any young man in the room, if you're ever told this story, it's not true. It only happens once. And it's already taken place. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. You guys didn't get it, did you? Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Well, I'll tell you what, that's the information. That's what he's told. And basically what the angel was saying is simply this. The girl you're about to marry is anything but wicked, anything but sinful. She's blessed indeed. As a matter of fact, her character is impeccable. Her life has been lived in a way that is truly Christ-honoring. She's kept herself so pure, so clean, that she's been chosen to carry the Christ child. It's an amazing testimony for Mary. Joseph has to make a choice. He has to make a decision now. Whom say ye that I am, Joseph? Well, afterwards, it wouldn't be long later, we read the, that the two of them are traveling together to Bethlehem. 
And ultimately we know that she's with child and she comes due there in Bethlehem, has a Jesus. <clears throat> so obviously, Joseph must have believed that the child she was carrying was the Christ. But whom say ye that I am, Joseph? Joseph would have to say, well, thou art the Christ. In the book of Isaiah, turn there, chapter 9. We note that early on in the book, the Bible, we're told about this Jesus that would come. Sometimes it's hard to wrap our mind around the reality that Jesus Christ is literally God in flesh. That's a hard concept to grasp. I've never met a God or God on earth. I've never met a perfect person. You haven't either. And for... You know, to, to wrap our mind around the idea that literally the God who created all things literally was on earth in the form of a man is really difficult at times to wrap our mind around. But notice what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. First of all, that everlasting father obviously nails it down. This child that would be born is the everlasting father. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What a wonderful promise. Identifying the child that would be born by a virgin, by the name of Mary, to be none other than God himself. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Notice again, we have it a little bit more isolated here. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. We know that Christ was. But notice again, he will have been from of old, from everlasting. No beginning, no end. Everlasting, Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Everyone down through history has had to face the very question that the disciples faced that day when Jesus said, Whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? I consider the woman at the well. Jesus goes out of his way, we know, to meet her. He must needs go through Samaria, he says. And so he does. He goes through Samaria and there finds himself there at the well of Jacob. The disciples go into town to purchase and to buy the needed necessary elements and he stays behind. He stays behind with a purpose, a reason, knowing that this woman would show up. She shows up and he begins to speak to her and converse with her and talk to her about what's transpired in her life and where she's at in her life and what's going on in her life. And she begins to share her heart. She doesn't try to hide things. She doesn't try to pretend to be someone or something she's not. She knows that just the fact that she came out at the certain or particular hour that she did to the well, 
uh, being an uncharacteristic hour of the day, he would know that she was an unusual person and not necessarily accepted of the others. So her character and her lifestyle had been in question for a number of years probably. Here he finds her now coming. He waited for her specifically. Isn't it a wonderful thing when you are a kind of person that loves people enough that you put their sins behind and you say, I want to help them instead of focus on just who and what they are. Sadly enough, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being so judgmental of people because of their actions that we fail to see the person and recognize the great need in their life. Jesus Christ cared about people. He wasn't going to condone or to embrace the sin of this woman, but he did want to embrace her and show her that he loved her and that he had compassion on her and that he wanted her life to be different. Not so that he could say, I got another notch in my gun belt and I have once again won somebody over for the sake of winning them over. No, I've won them over so that their life can be prosperous, so that they can honor the Father, so that they can complete and continue to do that which pleases Christ and pleases God. And so there that woman came, and as they conversed, she began to reveal her true identity to him. And he began to pull out that true identity. And after exposing her sin and expressing such great truth, she speaks up. Look at John chapter 4, verse 25. John chapter 4, verse 25. When's the last time that we went out of our way to reach out to somebody that others felt was not worth the time. Think about that. When's the last time you reached out to somebody that others would say, they're not worth your time? Boy, Jesus, he reached out to people like that all the time. And you know who he reached out to that was like that, that needed him most? Me. Me, I'm so glad that he reached out to somebody that wasn't really worth his time. Notice what the Bible says here in John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Wow, that was a that had to be a I mean a a punch between the eyes. I mean I've read about and I've heard about the fact that that Messiah cometh. I, I know that God in flesh will ultimately arrive. He'll he'll come. He'll be called Christ. But and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Well, he's been doing a pretty good job of telling her a few things about herself, huh? And he speaks up and says, I that speak unto thee am he. Well, you know what? She has a decision to make now. Whom say ye that I am? Her response is found in verse 29 of that passage. John chapter 4, verse 29. She goes into town after speaking with the Lord and says, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You say, well, is she asking a question? Yeah, to them, in her mind, she knows already. She's saying, listen, this guy is unique. He's different. He's unusual. This isn't any man. This is God-man. This is Messiah. Hey, tell me. He told me all these things about myself. I didn't even have to tell him. He knew. Is not this the Christ? 
Whom say ye that I am? Jesus said to her, basically. She said, Thou art the Christ. And what did it do? It motivated her to go into that city and say to others, Is not this the Christ? Look at what he's done. Listen to how he responded. This is Jesus. Is it not Christ? Is this not the one who was promised? So the jury's out. But we've polled a few people. Peter, he clearly says, Thou art the Christ. Joseph plainly stated, Thou art the Christ. The woman at the well, she concludes and is convinced, Thou art the Christ. But the real question is, Whom say ye that I am? Judas, uh, Jesus had asked, who do men say that I am? They had a number of opinions. Some said that he was Elijah, one of the prophets, possibly John the Baptist. All kind of opinions about who Christ was. But then he turns to those disciples, looks them square in the eye and says, whom say ye that I am? I know what the world's thinking. I, I, I mean, I have to believe he knew already and he's, he's, he knows in our hearts. We've heard a number of things. People have said a number of things. The media has a perspective and the world has a perspective and educators have a perspective and governments have perspectives and religion has perspective. But when it's all said and done, the fact is Jesus Christ is going to look us each in the eye in a sense. Jesus Christ is going to look at you as an individual and say, Whom say ye that I am? doesn't matter what anybody else thinks tonight. It doesn't matter what your pastor thinks. It doesn't matter what your parents think. It doesn't matter what your brothers or sisters think. What matters tonight is what you think, what you believe, how you feel. That is a question only you can answer. No one can answer that question. Well, I, 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 you know, my parents say that he's the Christ. Uh, I mean, he's Jesus. He's God in flesh. He's, he's Messiah. He's the promised one. He was the one to come to die on Calvary and they, they, they're convinced of it. It doesn't matter how convinced they are of it. What about you? Well, my husband, he is convinced. No, but what about you, ma'am? My wife, she's got it settled. I don't care about her right now. What about you? Whom say ye that I am, Jesus says. And you know, the fact is, is that your opinion concerning this issue determines your eternal destination and eternal future. In the book of 1 Timothy, the New Testament believers were instructed concerning his person or his identity. Look, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. There we read... And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Right off the bat, notice, without controversy. There's no debate here. We're not going to sit and discuss it all day long. Great is the mystery of godliness. You say, wow, that's, that's interesting. A mystery. Yeah, it is a mystery. Notice, God was manifest in the flesh. 
You want to talk about the mystery of godliness? God became man. That's it. You say, well, explain it. I can't. It's a mystery. There it says, God, it says right here, without controversy though, great is the mystery of, there's nobody going to argue about this. Nobody's going to debate this. It's a mystery. It's hard to be understood. Nobody's really going to be able to wrap their mind around it 100% while in this life. That is the reality of it. That God was manifest in the flesh. Can you believe that? Can you, can you put your faith in that? Can you trust God's word? Without a doubt. However, the fact isn't whether you can or can't. The point is whether you do or don't. And the fact is, is that God was manifest in the flesh, but it's also a mystery that's very hard to be understood. Somebody walks into the door of Community Baptist Temple for the first time and we say, He was God in flesh. And people go, Heaven! And they're going, What in the world? God was flesh? Literally the God of heaven? You're talking about the one that I was told created the world? He became flesh? Yes. That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. And if we're not careful, we can look at him and say, what's your problem? Don't you get it? The Bible says he's flesh. I can't understand why you don't believe it. You believed it the first time you heard that? You say, I did. Well, then you're unusual. The fact is that most of us are a little curious. We're kind of trying to understand things. It's a tough thing to wrap your mind around that reality. And the truth is, I don't understand this thing 100%. But what I do know is what the Word of God says. The Word of God is truth. Sanctify that through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. So I believe the Word of God today. I can't explain why the lights work in here. But they do. There's evidence of it right now. And the truth is there's evidence of a God in heaven that loved us, left a book for us called the Bible. This book is here. And let me tell you, a lot of people paid, their, paid with their blood so that we could have it today. And one can say, well, it's just a coincidence that it's still here. No. Let me tell you something. It's a bestseller for a reason. It's God's Word. And it's been with us throughout the centuries and throughout the, the millenniums. And let me tell you, it'll continue to be there because it's settled in heaven, the Bible says. In Colossians, we're reminded that Jesus is God, the God of Genesis 1.1. Colossians 1, 15 through 16. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. But in Colossians 1, verse 15, the Bible says, for by Him... Well, let's, let's go back a little bit. Colossians 1, look a little bit earlier. <clears throat> Verse uh, eh, 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom, excuse me, I just read that again, of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Who's that? The Son. Even the forgiveness of sins, that's the Son, as a result of the Son's shed blood, who, talking about the Son, is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the f firstborn of every creature. For by Him, the Son, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him, the Son, and for Him, the Son. I mean, that, that's the context of it. 
Somebody says, well, that's talking about God in the beginning, God. You're absolutely right. It's talking about God, but in the context of Colossians, makes it very clear that it's talking about Christ himself. And Christ is the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. It's by him, Jesus, where all things were created. He is the creator of all things. We can attach ourselves. Christ himself is the God of Genesis 1.1. Peter was asked, whom say ye that I am? And that is the very question that only you can answer. You can't get on Peter's back and ride it into heaven. You can't get into Peter's, on Peter's back and ride it into the victorious Christian life. This is a foundational truth or a foundational issue in your life. You must understand who he is. Whom say ye that I am? You know, the weight of eternity, again, weighs in the balance. It's all based on your answer to that probing question. Your hope of everlasting life is determined by your answer. Whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell is greatly dependent and decided upon your answer to this most important question. Look at 1 John 5.1. It is, when I was over in the Philippines, there's a church called the Church of Christ. It's the Church of Christ, not the same Church of Christ that's here. But you know what the Church of Christ over there doesn't believe? That Christ is God in flesh. They don't believe that. It's interesting, they're the Church of Christ, so they're the Church of a man. Because they don't believe that he was God. They don't believe that he was anything more than a good man. Well, let me tell you something. That's pretty alarming, isn't it? Now, I want you to understand the ramifications of that then. It doesn't matter how godly they appear to be. It doesn't matter how big their buildings are. It doesn't matter how many thousands of people attend that church. It, it doesn't matter how many good deeds they do on behalf of the citizens or the people there in the country. It doesn't matter how many folks they feed, how many people they clothe doesn't matter how often they sacrifice so that others can have what they are needful for living. It doesn't matter. Notice 1 John 5, 1. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. A prerequisite to be born of God, a prerequisite to be a child of God, a prerequisite, if you will, to be in the family of God then, is that you believe that He is the Christ. It's that simple. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you don't believe that He is more than mere man, that He is God in flesh, and that He was the promised Messiah that came to earth, that ultimately took the place of mankind and paid the penalty for their sin, that He was a perfect man and a perfect sacrifice, then you are not able to see heaven. It doesn't matter what you think about God. You, I, I believe there's a God in heaven. Yeah, but that's not the question. Jesus said, whom say ye that I am? I mean, okay, you can believe in God. That's fine. In the beginning, God created. But the real issue is, whom say ye that I am, Jesus says. Because that's the issue. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Listen, it's not enough to believe in God. The devils, the Bible says, believe in God and tremble according to the book of James. 
They believe there's a God, but the fact is they won't receive and accept the reality of Christ. And I'm going to tell you today that the truth is, is that salvation is a direct result of who you believe Christ to be. And it, it's not enough to just say, well, he's a good guy. He's a wonderful person. No, he was God. He's God in flesh. Jesus is waiting for your reply tonight. Whom say ye that I am? And you know, it's not just our salvation in a sense either. Look at you on Hebrews eleven six. I'm convinced that this thought, this idea, it, it affects every aspect of our life. The moment we start questioning the identity of Christ or the reality of God, we have a real problem. Notice what it says in Hebrews eleven six. What a tremendous passage. Be good if I got there. Eleven six. It says, "But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is." Boy, there it is. You got to believe He is. That's the first step. You have to believe that. Why? You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, obviously, if you don't believe that He is. See, someone says, well, I believe in God, I just don't believe in Christ. Then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, is tripartite. He's, he's three distinct but one. I don't get it. You say, it's crazy. Yeah, it's the mystery, remember, of godliness. But it's a reality of life. It's a reality of the Word of God. It's a reality for eternity. You must believe that He is. And notice that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Do you realize that every promise of God is predicated on the fact of who He is? If you doubt who He is, then you, you, you have no faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And the truth is, is that there are no promises if He's not who He claims to be. Jesus made all these promises on earth. They mean absolutely nothing if he's just a man. It means absolutely nothing if he's not the creator, God. You say, well, I, I just question how the world came into existence. Then you're doubting whether there's a God or not. I just don't know if I can wrap my mind around creation. Oh, so what? You wrap your mind around evolution. There is no God in evolution. And the fact is, is that without God, there's no salvation. Without God, there's no world. There's no anything. We have nothing without a God. He's everything, so we must believe that He is. That's the reality of it. So who do you say that He is? Whom say ye that I am today? I mean, who is He? We must believe that He is. Every promise is predicated on the fact of who He is. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, we'll say. Well, what's the point if He's not God? Who cares? This is just another book then. It means absolutely nothing. I could have written it if that's the case. Does that make it true? No. It's true because of who wrote it. It's God's Word. And if He's God and He became flesh and dwelt among us, then we can have confidence that this isn't all there is. This is just a prelude to what is real. Eternity. This is the illusion. 
This is the, the, I guess, as the Bible puts it, vapor. It's the vapor. Eternity is really living. Whom say ye that I am? Do you have it settled today? Are you confident that there's a God in heaven that created all things and that Jesus Christ is that God? The only God. And that He became man and dwelt among us, lived a sinless, perfect life. Just like the Bible says. Went to Calvary, suffered, bled, and died on that old tree. Providing for us what we could not provide for ourselves. Redemption. Salvation. And eternal life. A relationship with the God of heaven. Restored into fellowship with Him because of that blood and that sacrifice. Whom say ye that I am? Not very many words, but boy, that's a mouthful. And boy, the ramifications of such a question are beyond really the scope of our understanding, I think. But it begins there and it ends there for us in some respects. Whom say ye that I am? Jesus asked you today. Would you be honest with him? Because unless we're honest with him, we certainly can't receive of him what we want because we must worship him, the Bible says, according to John 4, verse 24, in spirit and in truth. We must be honest with God if we really want God to do His work in our life. Father, we come to You tonight. We ask, Lord, You'd bless us. And Lord, in this room tonight, I know a number of folks here have been in church probably